There's a pastor here in North Austin that, weird enough, I first became aware of because of a Seattle-based podcast that mentioned her church. And the church sounded interesting to me, so I reached out to her and asked if she'd like to share her story with me. And I'm so glad that I did because this conversation with Aurelia wasn't at all what I expected. And in such a great way, I had several assumptions about her based on pretty much the only fact I knew about her, that she's a pastor. I had assumptions like, there probably won't be any curse words in our conversation. (laughs) But then we talked and each of my assumptions crumbled. And I met a person who embodies a kind of faith that truly has made a home in the mystery and the ambiguity of what she calls the things of God. Aurelia's story brings up provoking questions like, what does faith look like as a child versus an adult? What do we often lose in our spirituality when we grow up? And what do we gain? And can we have what Jesus called faith like a child when we are all grown and adult and sophisticated? To appreciate where Aurelia is with her spirituality, I think it's important to know where she started. As a young girl in rural Louisiana, living in a Baptist evangelical town where she didn't fit in for multiple reasons. Um, But I basically grew up brown and Catholic in a, you know, kind of like world where no one was Catholic and it was just white or black. And where I grew up, it really shaped how I saw the world because um, there was a lot of racial tension between white people and black people, but then also living in this liminal space as a brown person, I was really disconnected to any sense of like larger community besides my family. Also growing up Catholic um, in a predominantly Protestant part of the country, you know, people told me all the time that I wasn't a real Christian and uh, not that I care about that (laughs) anymore, but like at the time it was very, you know, it shaped a lot of how I navigate things. So growing up Catholic, I know there's a lot of problems in the Catholic church, but as a child in the Catholic church, what I, what that did for me was it gave me access to um, mysticism. I always felt like I had a really mystical relationship with God and that was really beautiful. And then that kind of got ripped away from me as I grew up and people told me this is wrong. This is wrong. You have to do a, B and C. This is the formula. You're, you're either in or you're out. And I always felt so close to God and I wanted to do the right thing. So um, tell me more about that, the kind of childhood more mystical, connected, um, religiously or spirituality that you experienced. And then what happened? What were you told? What were you, can you tell me a little bit of that before and after there as a child? Yeah. Yeah. There, there are all these things, not just for me, but for any child, like markers of a child that I think we lose in the indoctrination process uh, or just the growing up process too, but like wonder Uh, a sense of wonder, a sense of uh, an embrace of imagination, Um, like kind of living in a space that can, I guess, embrace like, I guess, like a non-dual kind of space where you don't have to have all the hard and fast answers and 
um, there's just a flow, I think. And for me, that what my memory of that is in younger childhood, like ages 10 and under type childhood. And I have memories of being in the church because my parents, we like, we didn't, my dad, they were always trying to get extra money. And so they would get clean the church. They would get paid to clean the church. I I think that's why they were in there cleaning it, (laughs) I'm assuming. But um, I would go up there and just like play in the pews when no one was there. And I just have memories of going into like the little library section and looking through books and reading about saints having these mystical experiences that were literally so weird that you know, in Baptist world, it would be so bizarre, but in Catholic world, it was like, you could read about these miracles and visions. And I think I used to just lay in my bed and just pray that God would not show up in body. Like I just felt, I had so much faith in God that I was like, I have to ask you, please don't appear. Cause I will like lose it. I'll like, I just like had so much faith and I just believed and you had so much faith that you weren't even like asking for things to be shown to you. You're like, please hold back a little bit. (laughs) Oh, I love that. So being Catholic in her rural Louisiana town, people would tell her that she wasn't a real Christian, which I find funny because many people probably tell her the same thing today. Uh, But I don't I don't want to get ahead of myself. So as a Catholic kid, Her faith looked different than most everyone else's in a Southern Baptist area of the country. Her spirituality when she was young was characterized by this mystical, intuition-led faith, a connection to a God that she believed in so much that she was scared God would incarnate in front of her eyes. But then, uh, when she was around 10 or 11 years old, uh, her world totally changes. My, when I was 10, my, my mom left. And so I didn't grow up with her at that, after that point. And I think it was so, um, it, we didn't have like a, she was always very present, very nurturing. I felt closer to her than I did my dad. Like I didn't see it coming. So when she left and like literally in proximity and emotional support in every way was gone, I, was reeling from that trauma. And I think I needed a a sense of certainty, you know? And so, and I was 10 or 11 when she left. And when I was 12, I decided I was going to read the Bible front to back. Like I was going to read the whole thing. And I did, I read, I read no one, no adult helped me. Like I literally read the whole Bible. It took me like two years. I think I was in eighth grade when I finished it, but I read the whole thing. I know. (laughs) I mean, get past Exodus as a kid. That's I'm telling you, I like read this whole damn Bible. <laughs> like, so I remember whenever I read that verse, um, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure or whatever. I, I really like wrote that down and there's a few verses right before it that gave me a ton of comfort. It was about being held, being like comforted in fear, being safe, being protected, something like that. Something that that spoke to what I was feeling and it gave me so much comfort. But then the next verse was like, your heart is deceitful. So I think I just like started sending myself all these messages, which were very in line with like evangelical messaging anyway, um, which is, was the culture, even if it wasn't the, the, the church we went to, it was the culture that 
you can't be trusted. You're not inherently good um, to be confident or proud of yourself is, is wrong. You need to, you need to be humble. You need to be small. You need to be good, you know? And that was just the message that I sent myself um, the more I read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. She's in middle school looking for certainty and comfort, reading the Bible and picking up on some ideas about herself. Like maybe, maybe she can't trust herself, her heart, her intuition like she had been used to. Maybe the intuitive, mystical faith she felt sitting in her Catholic church reading about saints from the past, maybe that wasn't the correct way. And she wanted to be correct. She wanted to do things the right way. She said she was picking up messages that the correct path was something like being more humble or smaller or maybe even less confident in order to be considered good. And then, she meets a boy. And so in the eighth grade, I this guy was my friend's cousin and I had this big crush on him. I thought he was so cute. He went to a different school. And somehow we like met each other. But what it turns out was he was really like into God stuff. You know, he was he did go to a little Baptist church with the youth group and he was like really had a good heart. Good. He broke up with me so many times because God told him to, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, I was just finishing reading the Bible in eighth grade and then I had his community every single Sunday I would go to church. I mean, this church, even years later, like they like would donate money to my mission trips and they were so sweet to me. So they just really helped, you know, solidify <laughs> that way of thinking. When she says solidify that way of thinking, she's talking about the Southern Baptist uh, kind of evangelical view of Christianity that this church had. Um, not all bad, but just quite different from her Catholic approach that she was used to. And then after high school, she goes to college and seeks out a faith community there. And she gets connected to the Southern Baptist College Ministry. And she signs up to be a part of pretty much everything that she can and goes on to become the president of this quite large ministry organization. Like, she's all in. And going all in requires changing some things about her or her faith um, to become more like this denomination. Like I just changed all my beliefs and I remember I had to get re-baptized because I like had this conversation with my mentor and they were like, well, if you can't like identify the exact moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I was like, but I, I always knew God. And they're like, but you have to have like the exact moment. And so I, I like um, wanted to join the church, but they were like, well, you have to be baptized to, jo to join the church. So I got re-baptized, which like pisses me off so bad now. <laughs> Every time I think about it, I just like get, I like rage filled, fills me up. Um, but yeah. That I was just like the total evangelical going on mission trips every summer. But then I ended up getting like a full ride to Baylor School of Social Work and the seminary there because um, of all that, you know, of all that on my little resume. So that's where I went to seminary was in Waco. Okay. Aurelia heads off to seminary in Waco after this pretty profound shift through high school and college. She had gone from Catholic to Southern Baptist Evangelical, from always feeling 
this connection to God to needing to get rebaptized because she had to have an exact moment of salvation. And from an intuitive faith to a more heady faith that required what she called indoctrination. But then seminary actually opens things back up for her theology. Instead of being taught what to believe, they teach her all kinds of different viewpoints and theologies. She said this was wonderful in many ways because she feels like this open theology helped her expand. But it was also very difficult because she no longer felt like she had any answers or certainty. And she says spiritually, it was the driest time in her life. And then after seminary, for better or worse, right as she's graduating, she moves to North Austin to help start a new church while she's questioning everything about her own faith. Then I do feel like my deconstruction and reimagining, rebuilding journey has been pretty much side by side with this church that I'm still a pastor of. Um, So it's kind of hard to like talk about it separately, but well, that's so interesting to do those things in tandem. It's not um, one. I don't feel like that's probably very common. I feel like stepping into a role of ministry, it's like, let me turn down the questions and turn up the certainty um, since you have to be a leader and an authority. And I'm so (laughs) curious about this. Um, The courage to do that and ask questions in that role while you're starting something uh, that seems very courageous. So I, like I said, I'm authentic. So I don't pretend to be something somewhere I'm not. So anytime I would preach, if there was a struggle, like I brought that struggle into the sermon, you know, and I think that I may feel stupid about it, but I do feel like over the years, people comment often on my willingness to be vulnerable. And I, I I'm like, Oh, okay. I I'm just trying to be honest, you know? Um, so it worked out. I was not the lead pastor for like the first five years. So I was more of an associate role. So I wasn't as front and center, um, at the time I could sort of go under the radar as I'm going through whatever I'm going through. And we were a very different church back then. We're like totally different now than we were then. Um, so it was just sort of more of a traditional, typical, moderate Baptist church, Um, and then in 2017, our church had like a total rebirth where we were just like, we are, this is not going to work. Like there's no point in existing unless we're going to like live into our authenticity as a church and like, be honest about what we believe, like be bold and be affirming and, you know, speak out against stuff happening, like be more political, not necessarily partisan, but like be involved in in what's going on on the front page of the (laughs) newspaper, you know, and we just sort of shifted how we approached things and it shaped our culture and who, who was interested in coming to our church. And that was the same year, the other pastor, he left and I moved into lead pastor 2018. Um, And my, my faith has been the same. Like it's just been in tandem with that, you know, as she's helping lead this church, and then stepping into the lead pastor role, her faith is evolving and the church is evolving, becoming more authentic to what they believe and figuring out who they are. And for Aurelia, she's part of this becoming process that the church is going through, but she herself, she still feels like she's becoming. She's still discovering and reimagining her own faith 
And as anyone who's gone through something like that knows, it's not easy. It's often confusing and scary. One morning, she has a profound experience that gave her some clarity on how to move forward in the uncertainty. It was probably 2017 where I just woke up one morning and I was, it was like a mystical spiritual experience that I don't have those often because I've closed myself off to them for so long. It was like early in the morning and I woke up and I just had this panic thought of like, everything's okay, but how am I gonna hold on to my faith if something bad happens? Like how, it just feels very fragile. And I heard like spirit speak to me inside, but it was like inside me. And the word was, you, like your faith will never be okay if you don't learn how to trust the spirit in you. Um, and so like that day, I was like, this is my work. Like this is, this is the work of my life. Basically in a summary, like Imago Dei, my favorite piece of theology is Imago Dei. And I just talk about it all the time. Like, I'm obsessed. So basically just that we are all made in the image of God and the spirit of God lives inside us and we don't need anybody else's permission to listen to that spirit. We don't need anybody else like shouting at us exactly what it's telling us. Nobody can do it for us but us. We can have healthy support. We can have friendships, we can have sacred community, and all those things are like wonderful bonuses. But at the end of the day, like we have to do that work and we have to learn to listen. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's hard for, for churches to teach that because then they can't make, like, make their payroll if they're not telling everyone, you know, what to, what to think. It's just, you can't, it's not, ma you can't mass package that. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like my faith paradigm right now is a reclamation of my childhood faith before all the indoctrination. This is so good. The Spirit of God is in you. Imago Dei, you're made in the image of God. I hear in Aurelia a kind of reclaiming of her childlike faith. The kind of experience of God she had as a girl in her Catholic church reading about mysticism and saints having weird encounters with God. And it's not like a regression back to an innocent, immature faith, but an ability to live into a spirituality that is full of wonder and openness that has been earned and really fought for, you know? I love that she says that churches often don't teach this kind of spirituality because you can't mass package it. And often, other people standing on stages telling you what you need to know or how you need to understand or experience God, that can sometimes get in the way. Like too much insistence of believing or thinking or memorizing or subscribing to the correct way can take us out of our embodied experience of what we already have access to. What for Aurelia as a kid came naturally and effortlessly, feeling like she was always in the presence of God. Jesus is quoted as saying, unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, I think about how often though I get caught up in the exact opposite, like trying to 
find answers or certainty, trying to become more like a college professor than a child. Yeah. But speaking of heady intellectual faith, Aurelia mentioned a tool common in the Methodist faith that she learned about in seminary. In seminary, they teach you all these little models and stuff. So there's this model, you may have heard of it. It's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And they're Doesn't like, that get you excited about faith to like hear <laughs> yeah. about a quadrilateral you can learn. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so funny because they present it, it's all balanced and even reason, scripture, tradition, and experience. Like this is what shapes the life of faith. This is how you're you're informed. But like in real reality, it's like reason, scripture, and tradition. Um, and then like a tiny little bit of experience. You're not actually allowed to like use your use experience. So I felt like that's not right because what happens is dominant cultures or power systems in place can keep perpetuating whatever they want to perpetuate because we don't have, like, if we're going to listen to women of color, if we're going to listen to queer people, if we're going to listen to people on the margins um, and let their realities inform our theology, then we have to elevate experience. And we can't do like tradition. <laughs> like, that's not enough. Um, that's just a way to keep everything how it is. And I like, I love tradition. I'm like, I'm, I, I love tradition, believe me. <laughs> but like, we just need to like also have experience be up there with the same amount of respect. And I think in evangelical or fundamentalist paradigms, that's dangerous mm -hmm. um, because they cannot mass produce ideas that way. So that for me was sort of, that opened my eyes to realizing like my intuition is not just invited into this uh, equation, but it's actually urgent. <laughs> it's like urgent that it is a part of it. I love you're, you're talking about Imago Dei. We're talk, you're talking about we all have the divine in us. We're made in the image of the divine. You don't need anybody else for permission to access that. On the other hand, you are a professional clergywoman. Oh, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I'm curious how you see those things fitting together or balancing of do you see both the need for, for church and congregation and community, but also balancing that with Imago Dei, you have the divine already in you. Yeah, I would say that there are a few th reasons why I stick around. The first one is that my community is awesome. I'm not sure I would be in church if I just didn't happen to be in this community. Like, I I'm just being honest, like, probably take a break. <laughs> probably take a break. Um, and, but then the other thing is, at the same time, I feel the paradigm, the patriarchal paradigm, the, the, the male God, the white male God, the um, harm on the LGBTQ community, the harm on women, the harm on just everybody who's vulnerable um, and in the earth, like all these things that are happening in our world that are, that are harmful um, 
are so informed by by bad theology and are and the power of the church specifically in our culture uh in our you know country and in our society like you don't even have to be devoutly religious but you are you are shaped and affected by the power of bad theology in our historical roots and in our present reality and so i'm not saying that i have the ability to make that go away but i do right now in my life and i could change feel compelled to stick around and offer some sort of alternative um, to get people out of these oppressive ways of thinking and to offer a place to land in sacred community because when you realize when you look at the honest truth of christianity like it's a hot mess it's fucked up like it's it's just it sucks <laughs> and, and it's easy to leave and i have no judgment for anyone who has stepped outside of that none none at all um but i'm also like man there are so many people who are just like lonely and they're they've lost their faith and it, and it hurts and it's hard and and it's, it's just lonely and so all i want all i'm like trying to do is pro, is provide a space you know where people don't have to feel so lonely in that there's no like prescription on what to believe there's no um, fear in asking questions people come to our church and they deconstruct and they often deconstruct right on out the door and there's no judgment there like i'm like we're not gonna worry about if they were monthly givers we're not gonna worry about if we did something wrong like we're just gonna be the space we need to be and so that is part of why i stick around <laughs> i guess That's why I stick around. Uh, that's so beautiful. I love that. She's not here to create a space that's about telling you what you need to know and believe, but to offer an alternative to that kind of space. Earlier, Aurelia mentioned what she called markers of a child, like wonder and imagination and non-dual thinking, and how we, for many reasons, often lose those things through indoctrination but also just growing up. I don't think that's all bad. In some ways, it might just be part of the natural process of growing up. Like the story of Adam and Eve in the Bible, living in direct connection with God in the Garden of Eden, then needing to leave that garden and that connection to grow up. But then there can be this rediscovery of that childlike experience of God or the divine or of life. And that's the kind of space she's helping create. If you're at a place where what you might need now is not so much more learning, but maybe some unlearning, or you might not need more doctrine, but to move beyond doctrine to a direct connection of, to the spirit that's in you, learning to discern and trust your intuition and the divine that's in you. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's, the next step. I think about the parts of me that are out of touch with my intuition. Maybe it's been indoctrinated out of me, or maybe I needed to leave the garden for a while and grow up a bit so that I could then come back to that spirit in me with new understanding and wisdom and enjoyment of the divine in me. The question I hear in Aurelia's story is, a question about what it looks like to have faith like a child. 
not being naive, but to be fully grown up, to have experienced the world and be fully awake and aware of its complexities, to have been indoctrinated into a certain tradition, maybe, to have learned right from wrong, but somehow to let that lead you back to wonder and awe and childlike experience of the divine. Yeah, how do I, how do, I do that? What does that kind of faith look like or feel like? Yeah. Yeah, unless you have faith like a child, you cannot experience the kingdom of heaven. You can't experience the divine here and now. At the end of our conversation, I asked Aurelia one more question, and her answer made me laugh. What is your relationship with the word Christian? Do you find any identity with being a Christian, or how do you think of yourself? I mean, I'm not like offended if someone calls me a Christian. <laughs> uh, um, what do you I swear I was not trying to be funny, but I just realized how funny it sounded. Um, I call, I identify as a person of faith, and our church is positioned within the Christian tradition because I think that there's a need for it, but I, I honestly wonder like if any of the pastors would call themselves Christians, I don't know, but I would say like, yes. And like, yes. And it's so much bigger than that. But yeah, I just think that, um, that, that God is bigger than Christianity, but we all find our way to God through various religion streams and, and spiritual experiences and there are people who don't think about it that far and that deep. And they feel like Christianity is where they land. And I feel good about that most of the time. So I think <laughs> that's, that's it. I, I just can't tell you how much I love that. <laughs> um... That was Aurelia who is now one of my favorite pastors in Austin. She is a pastor at Peace of Christ Church in North Austin. She has a podcast with another clergywoman called Nuance Tea. And she has a book that'll be coming out next year about intuition and many of the topics that we talked about. I hope you found that conversation as refreshing as I did. A pastor at a Christian church who says, I'm not offended if people call me a Christian, <laughs> but uh, her story has me thinking about the ways growing up and indoctrination are good, but also how they have their limits when it's time to become like a child again. It's time to embrace wonder and imagination and know that you are made in the image of God. I hope you feel that permission she talks about, the permission to own your experience and the permission to listen to the spirit that is already within you. And may listening and trusting the spirit of the divine in you lead you to more health and wholeness.